Well, good morning. It's good to be back with you I've, after being gone for two weeks, kind of taking some time to vacate a little bit and to rest. It's, be, it's good to be back today. I know that you were in good hands over these last two Sundays as uh, Pastor Jeremy and then last week Stephen Mason uh, led you in the Word together, uh, encouraged by these brothers. I thank the Lord for these brothers, and I thank the Lord for each of you today. I want to ask to take your Bibles, for you to take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 37. Psalm 37 will be our passage today. We're not going to read the text at once. We're going to read it as we make our way through it this morning. It's a longer psalm. It uh, doesn't necessarily equate a longer sermon, so don't, don't freak out. Uh, but it may. I've been off for two weeks, so you just never know how this goes. You know, preacher takes two weeks off, and he's, he's ready to go. And uh, uh, the good news is, is that we have food. You don't have to worry about being too hungry. We have food waiting for you after the church, so you don't have to run off. Uh, you can stick around and hang out with us. Uh, but psalm 37 I want to go to the Lord now in prayer and ask for his guidance as we consider his word. Father, we thank you for this time that we have to open your scriptures. Father, would you help us to have our eyes opened and for our hearts to be responsive to what we would hear and see this day? Father, would you do your work in us Father, would you teach us and instruct us? Would you convict us and would you comfort us? Father, would you do the work that only you can do through the power of your Holy Spirit and through your word? We ask now all of these things to be done for your glory and for our good in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it's an interesting day to be a Christian. Perhaps a difficult day. We live in a day when secularists want to silence us. The media will often misrepresent us. Many want to divide us. And even terrorists want to kill us. There's a lot for the Christian that's troubling. But it's not, a new, it's not a new experience. The church has always been in this situation. And the church has always been opposed. And you know, when you think about the opposition, when you think about those who want to in some way do us harm or at least get us out of the way or seek to silence our voice, we know that we have opposition on many varying levels. Oftentimes, it even seems that the opposition is doing quite well, doesn't it? Not only are Christians seemingly more and more persecuted, it seems like those who are doing the persecution are flourishing or doing well. You know, there's not a day that passes that we don't feel the impact of evil in our world. And many times we feel like it's in the middle of that action movie when it seems as if the bad guy is going to win. Not only winning, but prospering. The temptation for each of us in light of these things is for us to grow weary or to grow angry. 
or as we'll see in just a few moments, to fret. Maybe the temptation for some of us even is to grow envious of the evil one, the evildoer, the the one who lives in unrighteousness that seems to be prospering. We grow envious of their seeming success. So the question is, for us this morning is, how do we live in this kind of world as a Christian? How do we live in a world that on many fronts seems, and not just seems, really is, standing against us? How do we live in a day when the evildoer seems to be prospering in his way? And we seem to be more and more shut down. I think this is an important question for us to consider because oftentimes when we consider it, we answer that kind of question poorly. And you see Christians and ministries and even churches, unfortunately, responding in very ungodly ways. Here in Psalm 37, I think what we will find is some encouragement for us to persevere in a godly fashion, even when it seems that the evildoer might be succeeding against us. The message is quite simple. If you were to just summarize Psalm 37, what does it say? At the end of the day, it says, don't fret and trust God. Stop your fretting and look to and put your hope and trust in the God who orders the universe and who upholds all things and sustains all things. called in this psalm to not grow weary when it seems as if evil might prosper. Because at the end of the day, our hope and our confidence rest in the one to whom all evildoers must give accounts. In fact, if you were to look at the first two verses of this psalm, David starts right out of the box. Fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. David calls us to fret not, to be not envious of the evildoer. And you'll see this is repeated throughout this psalm. But this psalm goes further than that. In fact, Psalm 37 provides for us positive instructions that will help us not to fret and to keep our hope in check. That's what we want to consider this morning. Five particular ways, five particular instructions that we see. There's actually more than that, but I'm summarizing them in in five. Five particular instructions that we're given that will help us not to fret and to keep our hope in check. Some of you came here today fretting. By God's grace, we want to help you stop fretting and to hope in Christ. Let's see what the Lord calls us to in this psalm. Five things. Number one, we need to realize that the wicked will not last. 
We need to realize the wicked will not last. We looked at the first two verses. David says, fret not yourself because of the evildoer. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Why? For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. They're here today, gone tomorrow. It's interesting that David doesn't build up to this, does he? You don't hear fret not later in the text. Well, you do hear it, but, but you hear it here. First, fret not. Literally, do not get heated. Or don't get so worked up, maybe we would say. This is what, to, what it means to not fret. Don't get heated. Don't get so worked up over the evildoer. The idea here is that even when evildoers have influence over you or their decisions even impact you, that to, we're just called to stop and, and not get so worked up over it. That's easier said than done. I, I understand that. Now, I want to be clear. This is not to suggest that we never confront evil or the injustices that often take place through corrupt systems and through other people and ways that we often see in this world. This is not a call to, to, to stop confronting evil and injustice in the world. No, we're called as Christians to, to stand firm in our faith and to confront evil and to confront injustice and to call it what it is and to work for justice in our communities and cities and nations. We're called to that. But what it does mean is that the work of the evildoer should not overwhelm us to the point of fretting and getting worked up and getting heated and angry over it. You see it again in verses 9 and 10. Reminder that the wicked will not last, for the evildoer shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. You know, we typically don't think about fretting as an evil. But it actually is. Maybe we, we, maybe we would justify fretting as kind of a way to to be angry and worry at the same time that's not necessarily sin. And actually it is. When you fret, if that's left unchecked, what it does is it will corrode our hearts and lead to other ungodly passions and even actions. Fret not. He goes on to say, be not envious of wrongdoers. Many times wrongdoers, the evildoers prosper. They seem to be because many times they're taking advantage of those who are uh, below them in, in, the, in the scheme of things, whether it's in a workplace environment or in, in some other context. They're, they're seeking to, to manipulate and take advantage of other people. And so because of that, they're prospering quite well. David would just remind us here, don't envy them. And I think if we're honest, there are times in our lives when we might envy the wicked. We get a little jealous of 
someone that might be prospering or doing quite well or have this privilege or that privilege. And, and we grow a little envious of that. We, we would like to kind of have that for ourselves. They would just say, by the Holy Spirit this morning, listen, don't fret and surely don't envy what they have. Whatever the evildoer does should not be a worry to us, nor whatever they might have should not be envied by us. Again, the point here is simple. The wicked have nothing that will last. They're here and then they're gone. Kind of like he says, even it's like, like the grass. And especially in Palestine, Israel, in those days, green grass was hard to come by. And when it did come, it wouldn't last very long. Very much... We could apply that here to some ways. Those of you who like to work in the yard, those of you who have a yard uh, that, that you cultivate in the springtime, you know that you plant more grass seed, you put fertilizer out, and guess what happens? It grows and it gets green, doesn't it? Looks nice. And about this time of year, not so nice. It's brown, you've got spots, you've got weeds. It doesn't last. No matter how hard you work at it, there's always a bare spot. There's always that brown section of the yard. It's dried up. While the command to fret not and be not envious seems simple and straightforward, the fact that David warns us in this way shows us just how easy it is to be affected by the prosperity and influence of others. The fact that he's even having to say it, he's, often, he, he's, he's speaking out of experience. In fact, later we, we see that he's now uh, an older man speaking out of his life experience. But for the fact that he's even saying, don't fret, don't be envious, just demonstrates how easy it is for us to, to become this way. In fact, if you're not careful, the more you fret, the more you grow envious. You're gonna find that there are times when you might be tempted to wonder if this following after Jesus stuff is even worth it. I mean, you've seemed to do everything just right. You're trying to do what the Lord's called you to do. Trying to be faithful to him. You're seeking to honor Christ in every way possible. Not perfect, we know we're sinners, but, but best of your knowledge, you're seeking him, you're in his word, you're seeking to be faithful and honest, to serve others, to care, to be generous. And yet all the while it seems as if the evil around you seems to be prospering and have it much better off than you. We can see this in many ways. Those of you who are single, maybe you're striving hard after purity. It's hard work. And yet it seems as if all your friends who are around you, who don't care so much about purity, they're the ones that seem to be getting married. But you're after the right things and you want to be married one day and yet trying to do it God's way and it's hard about faithfulness in your marriage. Yet you find your struggles just as difficult in a Christian marriage or even more so than your ungodly neighbor's marriage. They're the ones that seem happy all the time and they're not even a Christian. 
And you're working hard at trying to honor the Lord in your relationship. And it seems that it just gets harder day after day after day. What about persevering as a parent? You seem to be pointing them to the gospel. You want them to know the word of God, seeking to bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And yet your children may seem to resent it a bit. Or maybe they're in full-blown rebellion. Maybe they could care less about your gospel. Even though you spent years pointing them to Christ. Doing it the right way, but these ungodly, these, these, these non-Christian parents, their kids seem to be doing quite well. What about your integrity as an employee? You're the one who strives to be honest. You're the one that shows up to work on time, if not 10 minutes early. You're the one that does a full day's work or maybe more. And yet it's the dishonest, deceitful coworker that seems to be getting the promotions and the recognition from the boss. See, this, this, this hits us in many ways, doesn't it? We look around us, we, we begin to see, Lord, I'm trying to serve you, I'm trying to seek you, I'm trying to do what is right and good, and yet it seems as if the more I do that, the more I'm oppressed and opposed, and it seems that if, as if these other people are flourishing. The Lord would say, don't fret, and don't be envious of these people who seem to be flourishing. Friend, when we fret and grow envious, what we're doing is we're showing a deficiency of faith. In fact, to fret demonstrates a deficient view of God because we're thinking that somehow this should not be this way and in some way in our thinking that it affects and impacts our, our view of who God is. The more we fret, the more we grow envious, shows where we are ultimately placing our hope and our confidence. So we need to realize the wicked, the evildoer, the ungodly around us that seem to be flourishing, their day will not last. So what do we do? Number two, devote yourself to the Lord. Pretty simple and straightforward this morning and I probably should move a little faster if we're gonna to get to verse 40. <laughs> the proper response to the evildoer is not to grow in our hatred and anger toward them, but rather to look to the one who will outlast them. Look with me at verses three through nine. Trust in the Lord. Look at all these commands, these imperatives here. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently before him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. 
what I so appreciate about this psalm is that it does so much more than tell us, quit doing something. And we're told that all the time. You need to stop doing that. What this psalm does is it begins with that, quit fretting and don't be envious. Now, here's a whole bunch of other things you should be giving yourself to. So there's positive uh, instruction here for us. Instead of looking to the prosperity or what seems to be the prosperity of the wicked and thinking about what they have, we need to actually be looking to what we truly have and they don't. Notice the God-centeredness of this of these verses. Trust in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. I should consider some of these commands here. He says, trust in the Lord and do good. Trust in the Lord and do good. The idea here is is that we should submit ourselves to the will of God and trust him to sort out the details that are all about us. To trust in the Lord and give ourselves to doing what is good. You know, negative virtue is not enough. Not stealing, not lying, not murdering, etc., We're good at, as Christians, we're good at coming up with lists, right? In fact, that's what the world often says. You just, you guys have nothing but a list of don'ts. Well, here the Lord gives us a bunch of do's. Trust in the Lord. Notice what David's saying here. He's, He's basically saying you need to get your mind and your heart off of the evil doer and get it on the one who is good and righteous and sovereign and holy and the one that is trustworthy and faithful. Trust in the Lord and do good. Fretting leads only to evil. We're called to give ourselves to that which is good. Now this is further expanded in the the next set of commands, we'll see. He goes on and says, dwell in the Lord, or dwell, delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Before that, he says, dwell in the land and be for in faithfulness. Here he's encouraging us to, to live in the land, to, to go about our day, to go about our lives and to befriend faithfulness. I think what he's talking about there is to befriend the faithfulness of God. Understanding that The faithfulness of God is what we need to cling to. Live in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Remember that God's way is often the longer and harder way. But it leads to that which is eternally satisfying and good. You know, those, one person once said this, those who rely most on God are the best and happiest Christian. Those who rely most on God, not on themselves, not on somebody else, those who rely most on God are the best and happiest Christian. 
Friends, we need to draw our strength as believers, not from our own way, but from the faithfulness of God, from the loving kindness of God, from the goodness of God, which should lead us then to delight ourselves in the Lord. Look at verse four. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your hearts. Notice David here, he's not only engaging our faith and our actions, he's going deeper. He's now after our affections. He's not after just don't do this, do this. He's now at the, at the, at the very foundational level of our doing, which is what we delight in. Because friend, what you delight in, what you desire leads to how you feel and what you ultimately do. Your actions are not some neutral thing that you just do things out of nothing. No, you do what you do out of what you ultimately delight and find joy in. Delight yourself in the Lord. And notice what he says. Notice the promise. And he will give you the desires of your hearts. You're like, count me in. Right? That sounds great. Friend, you need to understand this is not a blanket promise. This is a conditional promise. It's conditional. The Lord will give you the desire of your heart if you are finding him as your chief delight. He'll give you the desires of your heart. So that means that when you are content in the Lord and you find him as your greatest delight and joy, then guess what? you're going to have different desires. Your heart's desire when you're delighting in God will actually be godly things. And do you think that God will want to withhold from you good and godly things? Not at all. So as you're delighting yourself in the Lord, as you're seeking him, your heart's desire, are not going to, it's not gonna be selfish things. Give me a big house, give me a big car, give me this or give me that. It's not what he's talking about here. This is not a prosperity gospel. That's a false gospel. The true gospel is look to the Lord and find your hope in him and delight in him and he'll give you the desires of your heart which will be godly things and good things. Commit your way to the Lord or literally roll away or cast the feelings of resentment and fear and jealousy onto the Lord. Why should you do that? We're told, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. It doesn't say he might act or he might consider your case and decide how he might respond. No, he will act. Verse six further expands on how the Lord will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Ultimately, God's justice will arrive with the dawning of a new age when the wicked will be destroyed and the righteous will triumph forevermore. A lot of times we, and we should, we should strive for justice now. But friend, when we find that it's difficult to even find that in our present time, we need to rest with the confidence that God's justice will prevail and it will come fully, entirely. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Again, verse seven is the call to trust in him. It's expanded now though to be still before him and wait. The idea of being still is this, this, this concept of a calm resignation. 
that someone has when he or she leaves him or herself in the hands of God. To wait patiently is is an expectation of God's intervention. Now, when we think of being still and waiting, we think of idleness, don't we? Be still and wait. So you think, sit down, put your hands together and be quiet and wait. Or we think of traffic jams or amusement park lines or something like that. But friend, here, when we're called to be still before the Lord and wait patiently before him, the heart is anything but idle. It is this action of the heart that calmly resigns oneself to the faithfulness and providence of God. And to wait patiently is is a hopeful expectation that God will, will one day act. The point in all of this is simple. It's not merely enough to stop fretting, but rather we must replace that ungodly attitude with faith and trust and delight and confidence in the Lord. And it's always a safe and good thing to leave your cares, indeed your very life, in the hands of an all-wise and all-good God. Instead of fretting over the way of evil, we must strive to be pleased with God's way. Labor hard in your duty to God and leave the rest to him. Friends, listen, you will never regret seeking the Lord. If you find yourself committing yourself, trusting, delighting, committing, being still, all centered upon God, you're never gonna find a day in your life where you're, I kind of regret trusting Jesus. Why did I do that? That's not going to happen. You're not going to regret that. What you're going to regret is not trusting him like you should. What you will regret is is finding your delight more in things and in worldly stuff and people than Jesus. That's what you'll regret. Number three, need to anticipate the day of retribution. You see that in verses 10 through 20. In just a little while, verse 10, in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there, but the meek shall inherit the land. Jesus quotes this text, by the way, in the Beatitudes. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous as gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked The arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times in the days of famine. They have abundance, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. And verses 10 through 20 remind us that the day of justice for the evildoer is coming. The day of retribution is coming. In fact, verses 10 and 11 summarize this entire section quite well. The wicked will be no more, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. You may not feel abundant peace right now because of circumstances, because of oppression, because of evildoers in your life. But friend, there's coming a day when that 
evildoer, if they don't repent and trust in Christ, will be no more. They will have everlasting destruction for their future. And you will have everlasting delight and joy and peace. Notice verses 12 through 20. I love verse 12. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked. For he sees his day coming. Friends, the wicked may well plot against the righteous, but God is not intimidated. You may feel overwhelmed by what the evildoer may do in this world, but God laughs because he knows his day is coming to an end and will be no more. Verses 14 and 15, evil will be returned. The arms of the wicked we see in verses 16 and 17 will ultimately be broken. The wicked will perish and vanish like smoke. Friend, we must always keep the long view. What, what we find, when we find ourselves fretting and growing envious and struggling with, with faith, what's happened is that we've taken the short view. We've not taken the long view. As a Christian, we are called to take the long view, which includes eternity. It's a long time. It has no end. And many times we're just living for the next year or two years, or maybe less than that, maybe a month or two months. Quit taking the short view and take the long view and rest in God's promised justice. Yes, evildoers may seem to prosper in the present and we must work against that as best we can and trust that God will in the end have his final say, and he will. The day of justice will come at last and it will be swift. And friend, that's just a reminder, by the way, that if you're here today and you come into this gathering of believers and, and you would say, well, I'm not a Christian. First of all, we're thrilled that you're here. Uh, you're welcome anytime here. If, you, if, you, if you're just honest today and you say, I'm not a Christian, I just remind you this morning that all of us, including us, myself, rest of the people in this room, including you, all of us are gonna stand before a holy God one day and give accounts. God's justice will be brought to bear upon evil. And all of us are evil. We're sinners, we're broken, we're fallen. And our only hope is to be restored to a righteous God through faith in his finished work, through his wonderful provision in Christ Jesus. Jesus came, he lived a life as a man. He, he lived perfectly, never sinned, and yet he died upon the cross to bear the guilt and punishment for the sin of all of those who would place their faith and hope in him. And friend, today, if you're here and you're not a Christian, our encouragement to you would be to quit trusting in the things of this world and quit trusting in the things of yourself. Quit fretting over things and put your full hope and trust in Christ and be saved. That is your hope, friends. We would just encourage you to consider the way of Christ and rest your case there. Rest your case there. So we anticipate this day of retribution. But number four, we need to demonstrate 
our faith by a life of wisdom. If you look at verses 21 through 33, we see this here. Again, this is not some kind of idle, quit fretting and just sit still and wait. Now there's all kinds of action to which the psalmist is calling us to. Trusting, delighting, committing, doing good, etc. Look at verse 21. The wicked borrows, but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. So just lifestyle of generosity. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Notice again the condition there. Steps of a man are established by the Lord. The Lord's going to guide you and lead you when you delight in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. He sustains. I have been young and now am old. This is where David says he's old. I've been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken. What a wonderful testimony. David says, in all of these years, as I've been living as king of Israel, and man, he sure had his fair share of, of, of wrongdoing himself. He's even done the wrongdoing. But as he looks back over the, the course of his own life, he says, not one time have I seen God neglect or forsake his own. Not once. I've been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good so you shall dwell forever for the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. The law of God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Several things here to consider very quickly. A life of wisdom is demonstrated in our actions. And in light of one of the things that we're called to do as a believer in light of the oppression, the evil that we often encounter in this world is that we're called to live faithfully as Christians. We're not called to go cower in a corner somewhere and hide until Jesus comes back. Live, live as a godly man or woman or child. Live for the glory of God. Give yourself to faithfulness. How we conduct ourselves will be radically different than the wicked and evil around us, and it needs to be seen. The wicked, for example, he gives us in verse 21, are perpetual takers, and the righteous are generous givers. It's a good example of, of how we would distinguish ourselves from the wicked. You can see also verse 30 and 31, the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom. We speak truth. We speak wisdom to, to those around us. Our tongue speaks of justice. The law of God is in his heart and his steps do not slip. We're people of the word, walking in the truth. Go to Psalm 1 and read Psalm 1 and how that ties very nicely to these, these commands. Life of wisdom is demonstrated by our action. It's also established by the source of our affection. Look at verse 23. Kind of resembles verse four a bit and then ties to verse 31, but the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Verse four, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Verse 31, the law of God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. 
Again, we see that a righteous life can only exist when God is the source of your delight. You can't fake righteousness. You can't. Some of you may be here today and you're, you've, you've been faking it a while. Stop. Check your delight. Check your source of hope and confidence. Steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. And then number three, a life of wisdom is motivated by God's promised preservation. Promised preservation of God is saturated throughout this passage. The fact that God not only redeems his people, but he keeps his people. He preserves his people forever. He will not let you ultimately be lost. Doesn't mean that trials won't come and he even permits and ordains certain trials to come into our lives to, to do us good, but he will never forsake you. He won't. Verse 28, for the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. That is a promise of God. If you are a child of God, if you are a saint, if you belong to the kingdom of God, you will never be forsaken. Amen? You will not be lost. You will be preserved forever. No matter how much evil you're having to endure, no matter how much oppression you're having to encounter, you as a child of God will be preserved. And friend, let this also be a warning. If you are not a child of God, you will be destroyed. A life of wisdom is motivated by God's promised preservation. What, what motivates you? What gets you up in the morning even when you have to go to that hostile work environment or you're, you're going to school around so many ungodly people, what, what gets you up? You get up fretting, you get up worrying, envious, angry, or do you get up trusting and delighting in God, knowing that he will never abandon or forsake you? And last, we wait patiently for God's deliverance. Verse 34, wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I think verse 34 is a summary of the entire psalm. Verse 35, I have, seen the, I have seen a wicked and ruthless man spreading himself like green laurel tree, but he passed away and behold, he was no more. Then I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless and behold the upright for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. Be, he is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Going back to verse 34, a great summary statement of the entire Psalm. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. Or we could even add to it verse one, fret not yourselves over evildoers. Verse 34, but wait for the Lord and keep his way because he will exalt you righteous people to inherit the land and you will yet look on when the wicked are cut off. That's how you live in a day of, of evil. That's how you 
live in light of evil oppression that's around you and the difficulty that you face. You fret not, you, 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 you find yourself not growing envious and you wait for the Lord and you keep his way, knowing that he will give you eternal joy. Friends, we have a future. We have a future that is far better than what you've, we have a future that is far better than even the greatest pleasure you've experienced in this world. Far better. And as verse 37 and 38 remind us, there is a future for those who are blameless. How do you you find yourself in that category? You become blameless, not because of what you do, but by trusting in the one who took upon himself your sin and who himself is your righteousness. His name is Jesus. That is how you find yourself among the blameless, not by doing enough good, but by resting in the full and complete work of the one who is good and who paid it all, who said, it is finished. That is how you find yourself among those who are blameless. The future, there's a future we're told right here for those who are blameless and only destruction for the wicked. And again, in these final two verses, David reassures the believer that his salvation is totally from the Lord. Wait patiently for God's deliverance. Friend, there's a lot that you could fret about today. And there's a lot you might even be tempted to grow envious over. But brother or sister, if you find yourself growing weary because of the powerful sway of evil in this world, the Lord would remind you, fret not. Trust in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. Wait patiently for him and keep his way. Because there is a day coming when he will return and full justice will be brought about to his glory and for your everlasting good if you're in Christ, and if not, to your everlasting destruction. And the oppressive influence of the ungodly is not a time for us to cower in the corner and fret. It's a time for us to do what Christians have always been called to do, to wait for the Lord and to keep his way. Let's do that to the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word and for this reminder today. Father, we thank you that you have called us to trust in you, to to delight in you, to commit our way to you, understanding that you are the foundation and source of all that we are. You created us, you saved us, you sustain us, and you will see us home. Father, you've promised to never abandon us or forsake us. So Lord, would you help us today to respond to this word in ways that you would convict us over. Lord, maybe we've not been trusting you. Maybe we've been delighting in other things besides you. Maybe, Father, we've been committing our way to someone else or to something else instead of you. Father, maybe we find ourselves paralyzed by by fret and worry and anger and resentment. God, would you help us today to respond in repentance and faith, knowing that you are good and that you are glorious and that you are triumphant. Father, that we could trust you even when evil seems to prosper, even when the injustices of this world seem so great Father, would you help us to fight against that? But Lord, would you help us to fight with confidence in you that ultimately the day of vengeance rests with you? And in the meantime, Lord, would you help us be faithful? Would you help us to be faithful and do good, to wait for you and to keep your way? 
Father, we ask for your help because we can't do this on our own. We need you, oh God, would you help us and would you keep us firm to the end for your glory, we pray in Christ's name, amen.